0: Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw.
1: to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of buffstampede.com joined by football analyst William Gardner. William, how is life treating you these days? It's all good. I, You know, I'm,
0: Kathy and I were kind of the few people in America, I guess, that things didn't really change too much. She went to work every day since this started. I go to work every day since this started, so I don't know. Everything's the same for us pretty much. I got a new car.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, t- just to start out here, where is your level of optimism? Are, are you pessimistic that there, there will be a CU football in, in the fall? It, it seems like things are trending in kind of a negative direction right now. Well, I don't know that I'm either. I mean,
0: I kind of bounce back and forth. But you see all the news coming out with with various programs. I mean, like the latest thing I saw was uh, Kansas is, is, is terminating its voluntary
1: workouts, right? Yeah, 12, 12 football players tested positive there. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. I, you know, I don't think anybody knows how anything is going to play out in America right now in terms of how this COVID pandemic is going to go. It's, it's, it's really kind of ravaging the Southern states, which are kind of the heart of, of college football and in California as well, which is sort of the heart of our, of our uh, conference. So I don't know. I'm not optimistic. I, I'm not sure how they're going to make this work at this point. So I, I, I my gut tells me we're not going to see it this year. And I don't have any idea how high school is going to do it.
1: In another state, Arizona, in the pac footprint, they've been having a spike. Right, um, right. Y- you know, they're going to try to do what they can. And maybe the most realistic scenario now is, is a spring season. And it, a lot of this depends on the vaccine testing. There's just so much unknown at this point. Uh, it's hard. It's been, you know, months now of just uncertainty and, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself if I don't have CU football to cover in the fall. Well, you know, it's
0: like, you know, you, you, uh, I mean, I I know a lot of people are talking about the different things that are going on with the COVID virus itself and and who's getting infected in this particular round of it. Uh, younger people and what have you. Um, and are, are they, can they get the illness and not be as affected by it? But you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that you can take those chances because, uh, healthy strong young people have died from this thing so you have to be careful
1: well the buffs they reconvened it was june 17th when they started their voluntary workouts and we saw uh, it was fun when drew wilson put out that image that showed the leaderboard in terms of speed just because we haven't had a taste of any of that type of stuff Mm -hmm. in so long and sure enough at the very top of the list the two fastest players at least that week during conditioning where Ashad shot Clayton and Brennan Rice, two true freshmen. And then the two fastest combo guys were Jason Harris and Guy Thomas, two newcomers. Uh, they were ahead of, of Brady Russell there who uh, that, that was cool to see Brady Russell up there too. Cause right. I don't think right. the, the number, first thing you think about with him is speed, but uh, he, he had it there. I mean, and, and that stuff's not made up. That's being tracked on them all week.
0: Right. And I, you know, and I think that for Brady, for uh, for Russell, it's, it's just a matter of hard work. I mean, he's just worked to get every ounce of uh, production out of his ability that he can, and, and that's a testament to his work. It, it kind of blows me away looking at that that leaderboard in terms of the speed that that four brand new guys are at the top of the list. In first of all, in just pure speed, and then secondly, in that sort of uh, big guy, middle sized guy uh, uh, ranking, and so. On one hand it makes me wanna if I had hair I'd wanna pull it out because it's like we finally get these guys that are difference makers in terms of speed and are not maybe we're not gonna play ball this year. But it's very exciting to have those guys in the program, especially when you look at a guy like Brendan Rice, who my God looks like an NFL player already and he can run like that. And then, you know, Jason Harris has always been the guy I thought was gonna be the the biggest game changer on the field. And so now we see one of the reasons why he's such a good pass rusher is is how well he can run. But uh, that's exciting to me. And then what I'm what I'm kind of pulling out of the workout so far is there's a lot of buy in and leadership from this team that it's not just the coaches pushing that uh, it really strikes me that the players are pushing each other and holding each other accountable as well. Last time we saw that I, I feel like was 2016. What happened
1: there? Well it's funny with Brendan Rice, you know, his father Jerry Rice is widely considered the greatest receiver of all time, but he was not a blazer in terms of straight line speed. I think didn't he clock in at like a four six. It wasn't yeah, like, like he, a four six guy, right? Yeah. And so uh, maybe, maybe Brendan got his speed from his mom. <laughs> well and that and that,
0: that reminds me of, of another uh, t- tweet I think I saw from Torrin Pittman talking about my grandpa's better than yours and and his grandpa was Drew Pearson. Yeah, you know, there was two Pearson wide receivers for the, the Cowboys back then. It shows him scoring a touchdown off of a thing like that. So it's funny that we got those kinds of bloodlines that are in our uh, coming into this class.
1: Yeah, Ashad Clayton was going to wear Byron Wizard White's retired twenty-four. And that there was some controversy surrounding that, but. The NCAA is now allowing the number zero to be worn. And so he's gonna be the first known CU buff to wear that number instead. I think Ashad he just throughout the whole process just wanted just wanted to feel special. Yeah, I think he's looking to
0: be a little bit different and, and blaze his own trail. I, I I'm excited about the zero. I mean it's it's not a big deal, but it's fun. It's different, you know, it's somebody doing something different. And I'm old enough to remember Jim Otto wearing zeros double zero. Um, and he was a Hall of Fame center for the Raiders back in the day, and, and I don't know it's just fun to see somebody with those with that number on their back. It's just I think it's going to look different.
1: I'm not opposed to a retired number being used only if there's a patch that honors that player, because yeah. we we know Byron Wizard White. But when this controversy was happening, there were a couple of younger reporters around that hadn't even heard of him, and had a shot. Clayton worn a patch then. You you educate younger people on some of these great players from the past, right? And I, and I think it brings them back. And you know the
0: the concept of retiring numbers is is you're very limited with it because you only have ninety nine numbers you can use. Well, a hundred now, but so you can't retire that many numbers, and you got a lot more really great players. And so I think you have to honor players in a different way. I, I like our kind of Hall of Fame up in the stadium. Mm-hmm as a way to do it more so than the retired numbers. Cause like you say, once a retired, once a guy's number is retired after a while, people forget who, he, uh, who, who was that. Yeah. You, know, you say Joe Roman, to guys and they're like, I don't, know, I don't know who that guy was.
1: Which that, that brings up uh, what we're going to be doing here after this podcast, we're going to be releasing this in a couple of days. We're going to do an all time CU draft. That is going to be fun. Speaking of guys like Joe Romick, where do you put them on your board? It's going to be fun. We won't spoil it too much here, but I'm anxious to get into that with you. My team's going to kick your team's butt. We'll see. We'll see. i got a plan, man. i got a plan. (laughs) So we had a chance to get on conference call with all all six of the new full-time assistant coaches. Darren Cheverini jumped on there. Tyson Summers jumped on there. Uh, If you didn't check out those features, there's eight of them up on buffstampede.com. Did you have a chance to read through those William and, and what are just kind of your overall impressions of this staff based on what you you've seen and heard so far? There are a lot of things that have come to mind for me. Not
0: quite sure where to start. It seems to me like they work very well together that they, they've really formed a, a mesh and that's an important thing. I don't, you know, I, look, I've, I've worked on staffs where nobody liked each other and didn't get along and the boss didn't really keep people in line and people didn't work hard, you know, for under McIntyre, we had coaches that didn't work hard, and everybody knew it. And I think there was some friction there with some of the younger guys who knew they were busting their butts, and some of the older guys were not. And so I like the chemistry that they got going on uh, uh, with each other. Um, I like the energy from a lot of these guys. I like the mix of, of older experienced guys and younger guys. You know, you take a, a Chris Wilson who's been in this game for a long time, and you compare him to Taylor Embry, who's just getting started, but sure looks like he has a bright future, you know, so uh, Chris Wilson can appeal to guys with his, like, look at the guys I put in the NFL. I know what I'm doing, and Taylor Embry can say, well, you know, I was just I was just working with the best tight end in, in, in the nation, in the world, so I know what I'm doing, too, so I, I I'm excited about it. I think there's a mix of Demetrius is, is known as a recruiter. You know, we've got some guys who I think can be really good recruiters. And so I think there's a mix of, of a little bit of everything on this staff. There's there's, Coach Meat. Uh, he, he's known as sort of a fiery, get-after-him kind of a guy. And obviously Coach uh, uh, Carl Durrell is is sort of a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of everything. Um, seems to me that there's a lot of, of – uh, experience you know our new quarterback coach really knows what he's doing and has a really good
1: history and so I I just like it I think I think we put together a really good staff here I think you hit it in the head just you need a staff to mesh really well but you can't have 10 guys that all have the same personality that that doesn't work well and yeah during that call coach Meat comes on there and he's cracking jokes with us making making us laugh and then Brett Maxey comes on and he's kind of like a grandfather type figure. And he's right. telling you that stories was, from way back in the day. I think those two was, guys need to just be like a tag team, you know, right. he goes with the player and Brett Maxey sells the parents on, on the vision. At, at C. Right. And, that, and
0: that's, that's the, that's the pair I was specifically thinking of as I was talking about because they have to work together so well, you know, in the secondary. And, and so that, that really stood out to me. And then, Look at the defensive front. You know, you've got Chris Wilson, who's been doing this. I, I think he coached Moses. I think he coached Joe Rome. Um And then you've got Michael Oski, who's really brand new in, in his uh, coaching career. And those two guys are going to be responsible for a lot of the front seven. And, and I, I think that's a really good matchup of strengths.
1: And one thing to note here is Tyson Summers, he wanted to get back to coaching inside linebackers. Some defensive coordinators like coaching on the back end because you get the full picture of the field, but Tyson Summers, he's a inside linebackers coach at heart. And uh, even talking with Darian Straw, he didn't say anything negative about the coaching he got last year, but he, when speaking of Brett Max, he said it's great to have a true safeties coach now. Um, Mm -hmm. And then at both positions, really, so that you've
0: got somebody, you you know, sometimes you have to plug people in where they're not exactly that's where their background is. But now at both of those positions inside linebacker and safety, we've got a guy who has the background and experience to coach that.
1: Yeah. And then we need the dynamic between Darren Cheverini and Danny Langsdorf. Darren Cheverini, he says it. I'm a type A personality and, and that works well for him as a recruiter and as a coach had Danny Langsdorf come in with a similar personality with his history of being an offensive coordinator, that, that might not have meshed all that well, but Langsdorf's got that experience. And so Chev can kind of feed off that when he wants to, and it's not going to be kind of shoved in his face, which I think is important because I never really liked, it's great to have experienced guys that have, Call plays in the past, but I d- never liked that co-offense coordinator deal that they had with Lindgren and Chev. And then they had it was, it was really strange when Clayton Adams had it. And right. they're just right. it, it, that doesn't work well long
0: term. So, somebody's got to be in charge, and 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 the other guy, you know, one, even if you have, even if they're co, one of them has got to be the guy that makes the decision. And I think it always creates uh, friction and a little headbutting and what have you. I, I've never understood that. You know pick a pick a guy make pick your guy and go with it
1: every college football team across the country has been you know f- facing issues because of the coronavirus pandemic but you know just talking with national people they they really think Carl Durrell deserves a pass this year because of obviously the fact that he really has not gotten on the field with his guys at all uh, how much more difficult and, and how much more of a pass do you give Carl Durrell? And I guess this whole staff, this first year, as a result of this, as as opposed to maybe if they had had a spring ball. Before
0: I get there, I'd be I would be remiss if if I didn't make us comment on Coach Rod. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and and I really like what I see from him so far, both from from your interview with him and what he has to say, and what I hear from the players. Uh, you know, he's been coaching this game a long time, and I love what he had to say about how well you know. They were good last year, but they were kind of slow, getting off. but they weren't very aggressive. They weren't very physical. We were all watching last year going, hey, that's great. They were so physical, and and he wants it to be even more so, which is kind of my personality for the offensive line as well. Um, Yeah, it
1: makes makes you wonder what Coach Rod thought when he looked at 2017 and 2018 because it did get better last year.
0: He might, he might have
1: turned it off and just said, no,
0: we're not even looking at that. But So I'm excited about him. He seems to have a good personality for uh, recruiting. And then the other thing I would say about him is, so he put guys into the NFL at the next level down of football where you're not, you're not signing guys who are, you know, four- and five-star guys. He had a fine talent, and he had developed that talent and turned them into NFL players. So I, I'm really excited about him as well.
1: The only thing that had CU fans maybe a little nervous is he talked about wanting to build linemen up as opposed to the other way around. And I don't think any CU fan wants a bunch of sloppy offensive linemen coming in. But we we saw with Mike McIntyre, them recruiting too many guys that couldn't naturally carry that 300 pounds. And that was kind of an issue during his era at times.
0: Well, I think also that it's very clear to me from things I've heard, people I've talked to, that that there was was, – I don't know exactly what word to use, but an effort to keep them below a certain level of weight and that uh, um, Drew Wilson was not allowed to do everything he wanted to do. And now he is allowed to do everything he wanted to do. And quite clearly, like you look at Kari Kuch and he's 3'10", and I think it's going to make all the difference in the world for him. So when, he, when uh, Coach Rod talks about building guys up, he's done it before. And that's the big difference, I think. He's done it before and built those guys up, put them in the NFL. But I don't think he's talking about bringing in 240 pounders and building them up. I think he's talking about like 280 pound, 280 pounders, 290 pounders,
1: and building them up to be like 310 pounds. Yeah, that's much different. Yeah, I know with Drew Wilson, it's not like he was ever told you can't make these offense linemen as strong as as you can. But his point was, it comes down to recruiting. I can only work with what you give me, you know. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on just Carl Durrell in terms of kind of the challenges and in how much of a pass, if any, does he get because of the, the situation? Well, you know, keeping in mind, we may not play
0: a game, a game this year. We'll wait and see. But I think he gets a big pass this year pretty much across the board for me. He was behind the eight ball when he was hired because he was hired so late and under the circumstances under which he was hired. Uh, with the with the late departure of our last coach and how late Carl Burrell came in here. And then, you know, nobody saw it coming that, that that the whole country was going to be shut down. And he gets a few weeks of the guys working out and, and some, you know, player led practices. And before he can ever get on the field with any of these guys, he's shut down. And so uh, if you're talking about player development, he hasn't been on the field with him. He didn't get a spring ball. Okay. Some people say, well, that's an excuse. No, that's a reality. Okay. As a coach, how am I going to make a guy better if I can't coach him? And then in terms of, of recruiting, I know a lot of people are, are upset about the recruiting right now, but I don't I don't get it because you know recruiting is about relationships and recruiting is about sitting down face to face with somebody and building that relationship and building that rapport and, and connecting with them. And you can't – it's not the same over video. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care who you are or what you, it's not the same over video as it is when you can sit in the same room and shake a hand and look somebody in the eye and what have you. Um, and he hasn't had a chance to meet any of these – like when they're out recruiting, he hasn't – he didn't have a chance to bring them on campus. He had done had, hadn't had a chance to meet any of them. He hadn't had a chance to sit in the living rooms with their parents. And all these other coaches have. So I think he gets a big pass. We haven't had any kind of spring ball. So if we go into a season, you know, he will have missed that four weeks of of actually getting on the field with those guys and, and instilling in them his way of doing things and, and the offense and defense that he wants. So uh, I think that the, the the burden on him is significantly higher than any other coach in the country. And if anybody that can't see that, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I just don't know what to tell you because every other coach got the, do all those things, at least to some extent. Even CSU CSU got some spring practices in before everything shut down. So I think he's got a tremendous um, disadvantage because of those circumstances. But, you know, by the same
1: token, they're not whining about it. They're not complaining about it. They're just doing their job. We'll talk a little bit more about recruiting. we got some questions in the mailbag. Before we jump into that, William, you're part of – the four-person voting panel that voted on the top bus newcomers countdown. We already got your thoughts on on the voting there. Wanted to kind of get your thoughts on on the top thirty bus countdown that we're doing now. We're not going to kind of spoil it because we still have about half the list to go. But just what what was your criteria when you were putting that list together, and, and maybe some things that might have surprised you when you're putting together your your list?
0: Well, I, I you know I was kind of looking at um, what. For the most part, I think the guys that wound up in the for me for the most part in the top ten top fifteen were guys that I could look back on and see what they had done on the field in the past you know some of them over the course of a few seasons some of them over the course of just last season and so it's a combination of what did they do last year and how do they project to me moving forward can they improve on that and get better at it so um it was interesting to me. We have, we have a lot of people coming back this year who played a lot and I'm not sure we've had that in previous years. So you, we had a lot of film on guys, had a lot of game experience on guys, um, you know, and, and so some, some guys that have really improved over, over a couple of years, you know, I, I think you were, you, I watched the video you did with Brian for Darian Rakestraw And you mentioned that a couple of years ago, we didn't think this guy had a position. Well, you know, three years ago, after his first two years on the team, I would have told you, that kid will never play. He'll never play anywhere on the field. Darian Raikstra. And yet he's going to go in, and um, I think he's got a real shot to be one of the better safeties in the league. So there's a lot of guys, I think. Akeel Jones, you know, prior to last season, I was about to give up and say, well, that kid's always hurt. He's never ready, really ready. And then the second half of the season, you know, he was he, – I don't think people really understand how good he was the second half of the season. He didn't get the recognition for it in a larger sense, but he was certainly playing at an all-conference level in those last five or six games. Yeah. So it was surprising to me. There it was it was increasing. It was much more difficult this year to kind of fit everybody in there. And there were guys that, that got left out of my top 30 that I think would have been probably top 20 in previous years. So I think, I think they're, I'm very excited about the love, the amount of talent and experience on this team. So I think that's the big thing I take
1: away from it. Yeah. There's not like the LaVisca Chenal guy that, you know, right. if, had he stayed healthy, could win a Blitnikoff award. There wasn't for at least the way it, it felt for me when I was putting together a list of those top end guys, but There's not a whole lot of separation kind of in that middle group. In past years, it kind of be these tiers that were kind of clear cut. There wasn't quite as much of that this year. And and some guys that are younger, lower on that list, like Tariq Luckett and KJ Trujillo, that could really blossom. And it's just hard to predict again without the spring ball. Uh, But one thing that surprised me the most out of the whole countdown was the fact that you had James Stefano, I think, ranked 10th. (laughs) <laughs> and this is after you wouldn't vote for punters and kickers before. Do do we shame yeah. you? Do we shame you into? Uh, for James
0: yo, You always beat me up every year about that because I don't pick any kickers and punters. And then I was like, well, Stefano, he's been, he's, he's us old guys got to stick together, relatively speaking, old. But uh, uh, I don't know. I think I felt like he had earned the the fact that that he was pretty good and really can count on him. And you know, like it or not, kickers end up being amongst your leading scores. On the team, so I thought he felt felt like he belonged in there. Uh, uh, others sort of took. I, I still sort of had that feeling that punters and kickers aren't really football players, and we shouldn't include them. But I thought he was sort of special for a variety of reasons. And then somebody uh, called took me to task on the board for having um, Darian rakestraw all the way down at number nineteen. And I was looking at my, I, I posted the guys ahead of him in, in my list, and I said, "Well, who would you take out?" I don't know. I mean. There's there's a legitimate debate. People mentioned some guys they wouldn't have put ahead of him, but I think there's an argument to be made. So it, it was it's tougher to, to fit guys in this year.
1: Yeah, especially without spring ball. That usually well, right. helps quite a bit. So that
0: clarifies a lot of things usually.
1: Brian Howell used to recently did a couple of fun features on the site. One was the ten greatest buffs and he even did kind of an honorable mention list and then he did a most inspirational buffs features. I know you had commented on those on the message board uh what, what stood out to you about, about his features there
0: um i'm trying to pull him up here to to see remember who he had on there i mean i think it's at the, it's uh most inspirational and in, in the top 10 bus of all time i'm not sure how you pick the top 10 bus of all time you know we're preparing for this draft we're going to do i was really impressed by uh the number of draft picks and the guys, you know, it was sort of reminded me of some guys I knew back in the eighties and I forgot that they got drafted. We've had some really good players come through here and then, you know, inspirational, um, you know, you, you, you look at the, at the guys that he listed in, in that one. And a lot of them were inspirational because they, they had tragic things happen to them. Um, you know, the first guy he had listed in there, I think, was Sal, Sal and Nessie. And, um, um, you know, I think back on Sal, my personal memory of Sal uh, uh, was working with him on a crew during the summer, you know, basically doing whatever they wanted us to do. One day you're cutting weeds, another day you're hauling trash and whatever. And, and he was just a natural leader. He was just a guy that you would follow into a burning building. Um, and that's what I look back at as, as inspirational to me is that he treated everybody from, you know, the head coach down to the um, service people, the secretaries and the, and the trainers and everybody else with the same kind of respect that that he did with all the star players on the team. And you just love the guy, right? And you um, I'm not trying to make him out to be uh, St. Francis or anything, but he was just a a heck of a leader and you just wanted to be around him. And then of course what happened to him? And I think really sort of of was the, was the foundation for that 10 win season. uh, Yeah. You know,
1: there, there there's so much talent on that team. They were going to win a lot of games in 89 and 90, but are they in the national championship hunt and win a national championship, if not for kind of his, his inspiration? Right. And,
0: I, you know, I there's, there's
1: uh,
0: several guys on there that I knew real well. I mean, Ed Reinhardt played at Heritage. The last great tight end to come out of Heritage for CU was Ed Reinhardt. And, you know, I don't think people remember he was leading the nation in receptions as a tight end when he got injured. But Ed was a friend, you know, and he was another guy that, you know, really a star player, NFL future. And he just really treated everybody with decency. And he was a good guy. And, you know, I could – you know, I, w- I would never do it, but I could go through and name guys who've been in the program before who were just not nice people, you know, and were arrogant and treated people poorly. And you look at guys like Ed Reinhardt and Barry Remington's on that list, and they were just super nice guys. You know, another guy that comes to my mind that could have been on that list is Eric McCarty, you know, who's team position now. Uh, was super inspirational just because he was such a star, but he was such a good guy, and you just really liked him a lot, you know. Um, yeah. And then the last name under Derek Singleton, I vividly remember when, when he died. Uh, I was a senior in high school and, and just sort of seemed like during that period for the CU bus. and we think we've had a hard time in the last 10 years, but at least we didn't have people dying. Um, so uh, I thought that was a neat feature. I really appreciated that from from Brian Howe. really brought back a, a lot of memories of players for me. Um you know, I think, and then if you talk about the top 10 players in, in the history of CU football, I think that'd be a fun debate to have over beers, especially after you've had a few beers in you, Yeah. you know, and I would enjoy doing that by position because some of the positions you could really have some good arguments about who
1: belongs in the top 10. Yeah, we did a Mountain Rushmore in CU football history. Right. If, this, if this football season gets canceled, we're going to have to get Let's creative. And so maybe doing a Mountain Rushmore for every position would be fun. Right, um, yeah, because how do you boil
0: a CU 100-year history into four players? You yeah. know. But a Mountain Rushmore for every position would be a blast. That'd be a lot of fun.
1: You were on our first ever CU Sports Jeopardy. You were rattling off answer one after another. You got a huge lead, and then – Somehow Patrick Geddesi snuck in there at the end. Uh, uh, are, are you itching for a for a rematch on CU Sports Jeopardy? Yeah, or or just to go again with something,
0: not necessarily Patrick, but against anybody. It was a lot of fun, and and uh, you know, really, it all comes down to strategy in that game because, like, you get those spot, you get those five hundred point questions. If you miss one, man, people can catch up real fast. Yeah, you know, it's it's sort of surprising how fast that the I didn't even notice because uh, late in the game, you pretty much have those high number questions left. And so all the questions are 400, 500 points. And so you really can lose a lead fast if you miss a few or the other guy gets them. So that, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing that. We just need more people to send in categories for you because it's
1: it's tough to do. Yeah. I'd imagine I'm in the host seat, so it's, it's pretty, pretty easy in that seat. I can't imagine, uh, I would imagine if you're just watching the other videos and you're not participating, you're just knocking all the questions out, but it's probably right. tougher when the camera's on you. Right. Right. And, there, and there's, and you know, you, there's sort of a time pressure and you're like, I can't tell you how many times I was like, Oh, I know who that is. And I can't,
0: uh, uh, and I could see the face and I couldn't, couldn't come up with the name, you know, or, yeah. or, or the year or, or there was a couple of times where I was like, I had the right answer in my head, but I was afraid to say it because I didn't want to lose 500 yeah, points. Yeah. you know, So. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I think the, I think people on the board really enjoyed it, and I think it was like really a neat way to kind of uh, get a lot of information about the history of CU football and basketball out
1: there uh, in an enjoyable kind of way. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Our first question comes from Anon four two seven eight three two. He asked any word on how strength and conditioning sessions are going. So we talked a little bit about this earlier. From everything I'm hearing, William, it's it's a mixed bag. You have some guys that stayed in great shape are showing great leadership or working their butts off and some guys, not so much. And with 18 to 22 year old young men and given this pandemic, the situation, the varying degree to which, you know, certain guys had equipment or lack thereof, you had to expect this going in. Um, but you know, the, there's some frustration by those guys that are working really hard about the few that aren't because right? Yeah. They, they didn't come to see you to be average. They didn't well, come I, to see you to go five and seven. And so uh, you're you're starting to see those guys really try to lift up some of those other guys and say, this, this right. is not acceptable. And we even heard William Sherman talk about how this is going to be a player led team. And the, the best teams are player led teams. Well, and I think,
0: you know, one of the things I was going to jump in there and say, um, I don't I, I, I You met, you said it's a mixed bag. My impression from everything I've seen and heard from what I've heard from people is that the majority are really working hard and doing what they're supposed to and that it's a smaller number that are not. Um, I don't know. Maybe you might have heard differently. I don't know. But it seems to me that, again, like it's a player-led sort of situation. And um, I think a lot of players respond more to their own peers pushing them uh, than, than even to coaches sometimes. The other thing is it's, it's very hard. You know, so we had our little mini controversy about Drew Wilson's comment on the board. It's,
1: it's not a controversy, but I guess it yeah. ended up being
0: that, it, you know, something's always a controversy to some people, but my point I'm trying to make is that, you know, it's easier to motivate and hold people accountable when you've got a whole team in there. You know, or yeah. the majority of obviously you can't have the whole team in the waiting room at one time, but having large groups in there, everybody gets fired up and they fire each other up. You know, and they're jumping and music playing, and, and this guy's doing a personal best and everybody's yelling and and there's an excitement and a and a support that goes with that. And I think it's harder to do when you got small groups of dudes and they're wearing masks. Um, so I think there's a real challenge there in terms of motivating um, kids and players when you don't have that, you know, one of the things I've always said to, to guys when I was prep, prepping them for college, you know, one of the advantages that McChesney has with a bunch of guys in the room is, you know, I don't got a bunch of seniors here. So you look at a, 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 Will Sherman, for example, that dude wants to get drafted high and he knows what it takes. And, you know, part of it is winning games, but he's tired of losing games and he wants people to be held accountable. You know, guys like, uh, guys like, um, uh, uh, blanking on names, but but Russell and um uh uh our inside linebacker Nate Lamont. No, the other one, the the one that Akeel uh, Jones. No, the other one. <laughs> John Van deest John Van Deest You know, John Van deest and, and and Brady Russell, they're wired that way, man. They're gonna work. They don't give. They don't care. You know, I can't get in the gym. I'm gonna or was it was it Mustafa who was lifting stumps. Like, yeah, Van, Van Dies was pushing trucks. Yeah, it's like, you know what, I'm going to find a way to do it because some dudes are just wired that way and others aren't, you know, and it's not a knock on them. It doesn't mean they're bad guys or bad players. You know, I distinctly remember back in, in the in the eight, late 80s, Alfred Williams wasn't a super hardworking guy because he got by on talent and Eric Biannimi was one of those guys that's, you know, I'm just going to work as hard as I can. And, and I was just used to be amused by the five, six guy getting in the – not in the face, so to speak, of, of the 6'6 guy, time you better work harder. Uh, so it's always like that. It's, it's never different. And the teams that are really good, the players really uh, enforce
1: that, like we saw in 2016. You so know, a lot of you, good just, things I've heard about that. You know, there's not a program out there that has had 100% of their players doing everything right anyway, right? Not so Not even in Alabama. So, if you are a CU and you're trying to get back into going to bowl games consistently, I don't know what a realistic number is. If you can get 85% buy-in, and there's some of these other Pac-12 schools that are 60-65, that can be a real equalizer right. going right. go, whenever right. this season, if it's played.
0: Absolutely. I agree
1: totally. All right, let's get to our next question. BR Buff asked, exactly how afraid are the buffs of their out-of-conference schedule, in particular of CSU in light of Trey McBride's recent verbal boasts and threats? Which buff will have the unenviable and monumental task of covering tight end Mr. Magic McBride? He said, sorry, Adam, there might be a little sarcasm in those questions. So if, if, if you missed it, CSU tight end... Had this quote said, "quote I'm planning on going out there and destroying them." That's what everybody has in mind, and that's what we're going to plan on doing. It's really who wants it more, September fifth, and I think we'll be more hungry than they will be. So, I, I, yeah, I I think he's wrong
0: all the way around. I don't think they're more hungry than we are. I don't I don't know that I've seen a team hungrier than this one, this CU team, in a long time. And of course, I don't have the inside you know, scooped
1: other, other – 2016 teams. definitely had that. You heard those wrong lanes. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, but this team wants it, and they want it bad. So I don't think they're any more – I don't think they're more hungry than this team is by a long shot. Uh, how afraid are the buffs of their out-of-conference schedule? I, I think with the coaching staff we have and with the coach we have, they'll be respectful of the out-of-conference schedule. But I don't think they're afraid of it by any means. And I'm not afraid of CSU. I think you've got to be respectful and show up and be ready to play. But CSU is not a team that should stay with us this year. I mean, they got they got a brand new coach and staff too. And their talent, frankly, from my perspective, has declined in the last few years. And so uh, I don't think this is going to be the first time in a long time we go into a season where I look at both of our lines and I think we're big and strong and, and got some draft picks and we're going to beat people up up front, and I don't think they've got the beef to handle it. So I don't have a lot of fear about the out-of-conference schedule, and I don't think the buffs are feeling that way either. Um, But I think they've got their heads in the right place in terms of working hard and being ready.
1: Trey McBride actually was recruited by CU for a while. They offered him and were making a strong push for him, but he just kind of took time with the process. They ended up going in a different direction. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I mean, his older brother was already at CSU, and so the CU thought maybe he was just going to want to go play with him anyway. But uh, I don't know what – Adazio seems like kind of a weird dude, but if a CU player had this quote, I guarantee they're having a Zoom call with, with Carl Durrell pretty soon afterwards. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, keep your yap shut. Yeah, you don't need to be talking like that. All right, TKH11 asked, I understand the staff is mostly new and got a late start. I think there are a few excellent recruiters on staff and believe they will pay pay dividends in the future. This year doesn't seem to be going too well, though. Acknowledging it's early, where do you see this year's recruiting class ending up? Just your gut. So before I kick it over to you, William, just first off, this is going to be a small recruiting class. There's 11 scholarship seniors, There's going to be some attrition. There always is. They're going to sign, but they're not going to sign over 20, and I don't think you want to because if that happens, there's a lot of attrition, which you want to avoid. And that's a flaw in the team recruiting rankings is that uh, when you have a smaller class, you're penalized. And so from that standpoint, even had Mel Tucker stayed at CU and continued that recruiting momentum, with the smaller senior class, they were not going to rank high like they did last year, comparing themselves to other Pac 12 schools. And the other thing I want to mention, too, is you know, people are kind of bored right now, and so they're going to pick apart the see recruiting efforts and the fact that they don't have a quarterback commit yet. And uh, there's a lot of other Pac 12 schools, and schools nationally get a lot of commits. But, William, if and when these recruits can take visits, guys that are committed are going to be visiting other schools. So it's not the be-all, end-all. And if there's a second wave, then you're worried that will these 2021 recruits ever get out there to visit these schools in person. But right. if they are, you're going to see a lot of kids committed to other schools that have said they wanted to check out CU, but they they want to get their the reservation in. And that's what it is. It's even more less so this year. The, the word commitment doesn't mean a whole lot. It's more about – this school is filling up on spots and they're the school I like the most right now. So I got to jump on board.
0: Right. Yeah. So I I think there's a lot of question marks. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I guess the question is, is he, he the the question seems to us to assume that the recruiting is not going that well. And, um, uh,
1: do you want, do you want to take that here on the podcast, that phone call?
0: Yeah. Right. That's, that's the wife. I should probably text her and say, hey, I'm busy. Um, I don't know that I agree with the premise that recruiting is not going that well, frankly. Obviously, the the quarterback position is one that that everybody tends to get their guy early anymore. But all the other positions, that's not true. And so there's certainly uh, no reason to believe that we we couldn't finish out strong. What stands out to me this year is we seem to have a lot of people, very highly recruited people, they're keeping up that have us in their top four, top five, top eight, whatever. And so I think we're in the mix for some really good recruits. Will we get any of those? I don't know. It remains to be seen. But like you said, um, commitments in this particular year where people haven't been out to various schools may not be as, as strong as they were in the past. So I feel like it's going fairly well under the circumstances. I feel like we've got some good recruiters and some people with good, uh, uh, mojo and, and personalities for that, but you know, they can't get into the living rooms and meet the folks and all that kind of stuff. So where will it end up? Man, I can't say where anything's going to end up given yeah, the, the uncertainty in America right now.
1: Yeah. The other thing too to, is the recruiting process with the early signing period now has gotten so sped up. So you pretty much have your whole class wrapped up with that early signing period. And so instead of the spring evaluation period being this time when college coaches go out there and really evaluate and offer guys, you're seeing that pushed up now to January. And now the spring evaluation period is often kind of that next class. Well, Carl Durrell and this staff didn't have the benefit of, of doing anything in the winter. That was Mel Tucker's staff. And so any recruits that visited CU in person visit when Mel Tucker was there. So right. and. And a lot of guys come out and watch spring ball and spring practice
0: and spring game, whatever, and that wasn't an opportunity this year. So, you know, think about all the guys over the last few years who made – so it's become kind of a thing in the last 10 years that recruits go on their own dime and visit schools in the spring and summer. Nobody's doing that this
1: year. So, you know, how are you going to fall in love with Boulder if you haven't seen it? Yeah, yeah. A kid is not going to – generally picks you just because of how beautiful boulder is but it's something that cu has an advantage with and i had seen lots of pictures of boulder the first time i saw it with my own eyes it was a different experience it is right. for everybody it just looks right. almost surreal when you see it with your own eyes versus a postcard
0: plus you know getting to tour that um getting to tour that uh, champion center and, and the facilities that we have here yeah it looks great on camera but it's an entirely different thing to see it in person and meet those doctors and, you know, meet all the support staff that we have here or what have you. Uh, so um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when people when if at some point kids start being able to make visits, I think things going to be very different.
1: Yeah. They've done I a good I, job I, of, you know, getting on zoom, but yeah, to your point, we closed on a house in June and certain houses that I, I thought looked better online, we start touring. It is just a different thing.
0: Right, yeah, we're looking for a house right now. And i tell you what, I'd say 80% of the houses that you look at and go, hey, that looks really nice. You get there and you're like, that's not really what the picture showed.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move along to the next question here. Movie Buff asked, don't want to give up on 2021 quarterbacks, but think we have a good start on 2022. Do we go after a transfer to bring in experience to the quarterback room?" So a quarterback transfer would be after the season, right? So you're going to get a chance to see what Tyler Lyle and or Brennan Lewis look like. we are still around. And if either of those guys looks like the quarterback of the future, I don't think you need to bring in a transfer. I, and I know every other Pac-12 school has their 2021 quarterback committed right now. You, you're still going to need to take a high school quarterback this year, no doubt.
0: But you're, not, you're, not, you're not throwing um, our other guy into the, into the mix there? Sam
1: Neuer. Well, he's a yeah. senior, so he wouldn't play into oh, this. Well, he, okay. Yeah.
0: i mean, a wise guy, anyways. But
1: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, they've, they've, you have got to take a quarterback every class. They have three scholarship quarterbacks right now, and one of them's graduating. So ideally, would like to get two more bodies in there, but it, it would be tough to get really talented guys if Lytle and or Brendan Lewis look really good this fall, right? Although you know, you know, I don't know. You know, the
0: the name of the name of the game anymore seems to be kids. Making it easier to transfer and guys changing teams. And I don't know, you know, guys don't seem to necessarily go to. It, all, there's, all, there's not a lot of places in the country where you can go and there's nobody there to compete against. So I don't know. You, we, we've got as thin a quarterback room as any place. So, you know, depending, you know, if obviously if Brendan Lewis or Tyler Lytle comes out these first team all pack 12, you know, then you're not going to come here and try to beat that out. But if, the, if there's question marks about them, who knows, maybe. But it sort of seems like if you're bringing in a transfer, you're bringing in somebody as a transfer, as a, as a, as a sort of an emergency safety backup, whatever.
1: Yeah. Aspect. Buffalo Ship 303 asks, thoughts on in-state recruiting. Is a lack of momentum due to the small recruiting class size this year, and should we expect to see it bounce back next year? Regardless, if we have studs in-state alienating the few we have, doesn't help with fan support. So he said, will they bounce back with recruit, in-state recruiting next year? They only signed one in-state recruit in 2021. Yeah. So,
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the new staff is, is doing their own evaluation. You know, go back to the recruiting question, and, and um, everybody wants to see us sign four and five stars, but at, sometimes our coaches are going to go out and look at guys and go, hey, you know what, that guy can play at this level. Um, Are you going to trust our staff to to know who those guys are? I don't know. At this point, I do until they prove otherwise to me. But you've got a lot of guys who have a lot of experience um, picking up guys. And then you you look at uh, the in-state list of guys. You know, Trey Zune was never coming here. Uh, There's four tight ends. We got one of them, right? Uh, Arden Walker, I think there's there's issues there that that are – not necessarily about about whether he's a player or not, and then uh, some of these other guys, Caden Dudley. I'm not sure our staff wants him. I mean, I, I think there's question marks about his ability to play at this level, and and so I don't know. There there there's a lot of things going on here. You, I'm looking at I'm looking right now at the at the you know top list of players in the state, and outside of the four tight ends and and Trey Zune, you know there there's Really, not anybody on the list that, that stands out to me as hey, we gotta have
1: that guy. I mean, the bottom line is to do well with in-state recruiting, you have to win games because these yeah. kids are more exposed to your program struggles if you're not winning. Right. They're seeing it on TV, they're hearing about it. It's not the cool thing to do at your high school to go play football and see you if they're not winning football games. That's all it comes down to, and it's pretty simple. Out of state kids, they're not as exposed to that. They don't hear, you know. Yeah, you know, they might hear at their high school, like, "Why did you pick CU?" But it's not going to be have kind of, kind of the same stigma if, if CU's been right. losing. If you're an in-state kid,
0: well, and it's like you know, I mean, I, you know, we you both we both heard from like even even parents of in-state kids in in the past few years saying, "Well, why why would my why would I send my kid up to CU when he's got a, a an offer from Notre Dame or?" Ohio State or Stanford or whatever right so that's that's the mentality of a lot of the parents in the state as well so until you start winning games you're not going to overcome
1: that yeah we, we we've talked about this in the past it's it's about getting talent whether they're from out of state or in state we, we don't get too hung up on where a kid is from if he can play but right. you, you have those cases of a Carson Lee that's a callous for a recruiting class and, and then Eric Olson and there's no doubt. It, it, it's a feel-good thing, and it's awesome when, when they are able to get some of those guys. Right. right. You know I
0: mean? And, and then Carson Lee, is, who's on early and is recruiting other guys and what have you. But, you know, you, you look at – we talked earlier about the four guys that are on top of those lists for speed, for CU, those incoming guys. None of those guys are from Colorado. I don't care. Just give me a roster full of guys that can win. Is, is my perspective, fill the roster with guys who can play and win. Um, we'll, we'll always have, uh, a, I think we'll always have a, a certain percentage of guys that are the base of the program from in the state of Colorado, some years more than others. But it's not a big high school football state here, and there's not a lot of players here. And, um, you know, a lot of good programs come in and try to cherry pick those few guys out, so it's not like it's an automatic. This is not Nebraska where every in-state kid dreams of playing for the home school. This is
1: not Utah. Uh, so it's a very different situation here. Nip is 13 asked, what is our roster currently at for the 85 man limit? Do we need attrition or are we okay? Uh, they are at 85. If Alfano, which I wouldn't hold my breath there. If Alfano did somehow work his way into the good grace of the program, they'd be right at 85. And if there's any attrition, you might have some open spots for, uh, awarding a walk on or two, but, they're they're good there he also asked over under on cu finishing the 2021 class with an average rating of 85 that's that's a tough question they might be right around that 85 last year they were at 85.62 uh, eric olson being an 87 on the composite helps there probably high really high 84 i guess would be my guess i don't know what do you think yeah it is
0: smaller smaller class i guess you know and um I don't know. I, it, it, it's just too early for me to say one way or the other. Uh, over over 85, I'd say it's a reasonable possibility. And I think some of the guys that we have, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if, if guys get ratings changes if there's not a high school football season, for example. You know, some guys might move up based on their senior year of play, and if they don't play, they're not going to have that opportunity.
1: Yeah. And Nipis 13 had one other question. What assistant coach do you think finishes the 2021 class with the highest Recruiting grade hard to pick against Chev there based off his history. Yeah,
0: I mean uh, obviously uh, Embry's off to a good start. Michaelowski had a really good year last year. Um, I guess uh, and then uh, meet Coach Meet with his history. Those would probably be the four front runners, I suppose. Yeah,
1: yeah. We'll Chris see with Wolf Coach Coach Rod too. he he brings a lot of energy there, so we'll see. Right, right. Uh, you know, it, but if
0: yeah. I think he might not get as much credit because he, you know, like we just did a film room on Jackson Anderson, who I really like, but a lot of people like, well, he doesn't have the rating. Well, all right. We'll have to see if this guy knows what he's talking about in terms of evaluating players or not.
1: Pat Buff asked rumors that the football recruiting support staff has been cut drastically. Any word on this, uh, cut drastically. No, but, um, Brian Howell did report Simone George was one of the employees laid off. Now she had transitioned from recruiting over to uh, academics to, yeah, more of like a liaison with the players. Um, and then Matt Biggers resigned his position. He was in marketing and tickets. Um, so Mel Tucker kind of wanted to bring the SEC recruiting with him where you've got a lot of, let's be honest, attractive female help when these I wonder how
0: you're going to put I wonder how you're going to address that as a kind of smiles
1: uh, to help with these visits well there's no visits going on right now and right. so the guys that are actually there on on the recruiting side of graphics and reaching out and evaluations and all that stuff from that point i don't think it's been cut at all not even drastically but yeah there is Less people helping with recruiting, that I yeah. guess if that makes sense. And there's
0: always there, – you know, it seems like the last few years, our board seems to kind of uh, ascribe legendary status to one person. I can't remember the woman's name under uh, McIntyre. Katie Basin. Katie Basin, and then now it's Simone George. And it's like, okay, you know, no one person in, in those roles is irreplaceable. There's a lot of good people out there. Right now, you're going to have to make cuts. It's the reality of the world right now. Right, right. Well, I mean, look at – you know, you, you look at the news coming out about the shortfalls for various athletic departments, and, and, hey, you know, I'm taking furlough days where I work. Nobody has any money.
1: Natty Zaddy asked, how's the new pad? So, yeah, this is uh, the new home office. I got. I actually ordered a print for back here. So, uh, get a little, it's uh, actually – it's a cool uh, – picture of a CU football in Folsom Field on the field in snow it's just nice. it's kind of it's a cool you know it seems like everybody has a you know Folsom Field and, and Folsom Field's beautiful and I thought about going that route but this had a little bit more artistic flair to it so uh, we'll yeah, see, see yeah. how it
0: looks now you made me think I gotta put some up there but we're looking for a house maybe moving too so
1: nice nice yeah all right. Mesa Buff asked, are you flossing once a day? And Folsom 104 responded, hope not. The more dental appointments, the better for CU recruiting.
0: Yeah, so we ever be- done a, have we ever done a, a, what do they call it in statistics, the, 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 the statistical analysis of your vacations, doctor visits, and dental visits versus commitments? Is it a real thing?
1: It used to be a, an absolutely real thing. And the backstory here with the dentist thing is that, I just mentioned on the board one day I'm going to be out of pocket for a little bit. Got a desk appointment. Got to do a few other things. And they see so you got a bunch of good commits that day. And I remember one time I took a trip out to Vegas for three days, and they got a bunch of commits. And it, it right. did seem like for a while, every time I was out of pocket, that's when they get commits. But that hasn't happened in a long time. Like
0: somebody somebody's going to hip check you in front of a bus or something.
1: <laughs> no. So and the good thing now is you know, players kind of give you a heads up, right? It's less spontaneous. Usually every once right. in a while, there's one that comes out of left field, but generally you have a pretty good feeling for when these are coming. And yeah, we took a honeymoon last July and nothing happened that whole week. So I think but, the trend is turning. But,
0: but, yeah, I, I think d- there's so much more information out there now. So I think that makes a big difference.
1: I'm due for a dentist appointment. This is yeah. true. But a little leery. I don't know if someone standing over you, even though there's a I, mask, I don't know. One of these everybody,
0: days. Uh, everybody needs a dentist appointment. My dentist keeps calling me. I'm like,
1: hey, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's the one time you can kind of put it off and not feel guilty, yeah. right? All right. Moving along, Art Jack asked, Tickets for the CSU game are currently listed at two hundred and eighty five on SeatGeek. Would you pay that much for the Rocky Mountain Showdown? I don't know, are they already projecting a certain number of seats? It's kind of hard to think about ticket prices right. and all that right now.
0: Yeah, $285 to go up and sit in that stadium up there and, and maintain social distancing or whatever. I don't know, man. I, You know what? I, I don't see myself sitting in any big crowds anytime soon. That's my personal view on it. Everybody else can see it their way. But uh, would I pay 285 for that? I, I don't think so.
1: I, I get in free, so I don't even have to, yeah, right. have to worry about yes. that. Forgot about that rjack three also asked, with Bo Bichette graduating, what player do you feel like could be the next stud special teamer for the Buffs? In the No. Daniel Harris, isn't he, he the guy? He was right behind him, actually. Yeah, he's been a yeah. stud as a gunner. Now, if he becomes a prominent role on offense, probably not so much. I mean, but the guy I think that would replace him, and he finished third on the team in special teams points, is Jalen Jackson. He's got a lot of speed. I think he'd be a good gunner.
0: Yeah, so that's probably all right. Yeah, I mean, there's some talent at wide receiver. A lot of those guys, you know where they're going to get on the field is special teams.
1: And lastly, Jack asks, which return starter do you think pulls a Tedrick Thompson and goes from returning starter to stellar year and plays themselves into being an NFL draft pick? Basically, do you think any re- returning starter is in line
0: for a big leap? Well, I mean, I guess I'd go with the same position he mentioned and say um, Darian Racecrow at safety would be the first one that leaps to my mind. Will he do it? I don't know, but he's he's got the size and, and he was a, a really a big play player the last couple of years, and now he's got the experience at the, at the position. and And as we talked about a little bit earlier, a dedicated safeties coach, so he's the first one that comes to my mind.
1: Yeah, it's a smaller senior class, so less guys to, to pick from here. Uh, we were talking, you know, Nate Landman could maybe play himself from being a seventh-round type draft pick to – if, if he played like the last three weeks of last season for an entire season, I could see him moving up draft boards. Yeah, He's got to show
0: that speed's not a liability to him, I think. Um, and, it, you know, his game has always been instinct, so he could do it. And then, you know, you and I mentioned uh, I always got to pick a lineman, so Kari Kuch is a guy. Who could take that step, potentially, and and uh, I think he's a guy that's going to get a shot at the NFL one way or the other. But maybe he could play himself like like Hambright uh, um, did last year
1: into a late pick. It was interesting. Mustafa Johnson was starting to pop up on mock drafts, and I, I think it's going to be an issue when they see him in person because he is short, but he's right. got big hands and you know, a long reach, and that will help, and people are kind of forgetting about the fact that he was playing through a really severe ankle injury last right. year,
0: that was when the issue. Yeah, when he's healthy, he's almost, he's basically unblockable, you know, and that's against power five guys that are getting drafted, so he, he's a guy that I think can make it the next level, he needs this season to really prove it to get drafted.
1: Akil Jones, you mentioned, is on the shorter end of things. But, you know, the question with him has never been talent. It was just he could never stay healthy. And he puts together, again, kind of like I said with Nate Lamb, and if he has a full season kind of like what we saw from him late last year, he could – I don't know. I don't know what the height requirements are for linebackers in the NFL, but it wouldn't shock me if he played himself into being a late-round pick. Well, you know, um, Jordan Dyson
0: was no taller than him, and he got drafted pretty high if you had that kind of a season. You know, he didn't end up panning out so much in the NFL, but uh, I don't know that the hype would be held against him if he shows he can play.
1: I was asked a couple other questions about 2021 quarterback recruiting. Got asked a question about Jordan Berry. we going to have some updates, hopefully, for subscribers of Buff Stampede going forward there. Up next, William, we are going to do the all-time CU football draft. This should be fun. I'm getting a little nervous.
0: I did a lot of preparation, and I, and I got myself a general manager. Uh, okay. Nippy Nippy's thirteen w- was helping me out. Really? Uh, okay. Putting together lists of, of uh, players for me, so he's my general manager. I was going to get him on on with us today to to help me pick, but he's got to work. So okay.
1: Well, that Any should number, be San Diego. So. All right. Well, this was fun, William. Definitely check out that All time CU Football Draft podcast coming your way soon. Thanks for tuning in.